Good morning, church. It's good to see you all again. Some of you, I, <clears throat> I remember from last night, I actually remembered a couple of names. I, I, there were more names that I didn't remember, and forgive me for that. Uh, just remind me, and Lord willing, I'll, I'll remember them next time. Uh, Pastor Rob called, uh, it was a couple of months ago, and, and asked if I would fill him uh, fill in for him uh, this morning, and it's it's always a joy to come and and see uh, how much more the Lord is doing. It's it, I, I step away. I think I've like I used this analogy before, but you see a a tree, and if you see that tree every day, you don't really notice its growth. But if you step away for a little while and then you come back, you're oh, wow, this thing has really grown, and. Uh, the Lord is doing a very precious work here, and uh, it's a joy. It's a joy to observe. It's a joy to, to, to participate in occasionally, and, and I just uh, I counted a, a blessing and a privilege to be amongst you guys. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we're going to read the first six verses, or seven verses, and then we'll, and then we'll, we'll come back and, and consider what the Lord has for us. John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we pray that you would open it to us and that you would speak to our hearts and then you would show us, Lord, the reality of your great love for us and your great purpose in the cross and your great purpose in our lives. Lord, only you can give us understanding. Only you can illuminate. And it is only by the power of your Holy Spirit that uh, you will do that. And so we pray, Lord, that you would come this morning and that you would do that for us in your grace. Accomplish your purposes in us this morning, and may your kingdom come, and may your will be done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so, most of you know this story, uh, John chapter 11. Uh, this is the story where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Um, 
John records in his gospel seven miracles. Um, and this one really is the pinnacle. This is the, this is the highest one. Um, and uh, the purpose, of course, in his writing is in John 20, 31, where he says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he is God in the flesh, and that in believing in him, you may have life in his name. And so he, he offers uh, this, this account here of uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha um, as, as a proof for that, and showing uh, his glory and showing how he is sovereign over uh, creation, sovereign over life itself, life and death. And so, and so our story. Now this, this, this passage here really emphasizes two things. Two main things that, well, let me just say this. The Lord gave me, he emphasized with me two specific things in this passage as I was drawn to it and as I continue to read it. And that is, number one, God's love, and number two, God's purpose. So looking at those in order, uh, we'll, uh, we'll consider what it has to say here. Now Jesus is, is away from Bethany. Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem. In fact, it says that right here uh, in this passage. It's just, I haven't been to Israel. I was just talking with Rebecca how I haven't been there before, but I've seen videos and pictures and maps and so forth. And yeah, Bethany is uh, east of Jerusalem and there's the Mount of Olives kind of around the side, the north side, they think, I think. It's, uh, it's where Bethany is. It's close. Well, Jesus has been in Jerusalem. Jesus has been, this is right close to the Passion Week when this occurrence happens. In fact, it's, it's close to this time of the year right now in the, in the, I suppose, in the religious calendar where we are today. So if, if we were roughly 2,000 years ago, this would be happening right around now. So uh, that wasn't why I came to it. I just realized that. I was like, wait a minute. This is, this. anyways, uh, but uh, uh, Jesus was in Jerusalem. He's been sparring with the religious leaders. They've tried to kill him several times. In fact, John records three distinct times where they've tried to kill him. Um, and this uh, chapter 10 was the third time. They took up stones to stone him, and he, and, he, and he escaped. And they tried to arrest him, and he got away because his time had not come. His hour had not yet come. So he goes away from, he flees Jerusalem um, and uh, then word comes, not many days later, that uh, here, here we are, that Lazarus is sick. Now, John, the author, is going to emphasize God's love, and he is really emphasizing God's love here. Um, the first thing we see in, in, in verse 1, a certain man, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. There is the first emphasis of love. You don't get someone anointing your feet with a costly perfume and wiping it with her hair unless something very special, something very significant is going on. There is a very, very deep level of affection between Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Jesus, and vice versa. So John here, is, he's just emphasizing... It's like he's trying to pick the most significant thing he can say about how much love is between these two. And he, and he picks that. And I, I think, that's very significant. You know, Somebody to do something for you uh, of, of, of that nature. So, and uh, 
And then, of course, they send word. Verse 3, therefore, he's, Lazarus is sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. There it is again. John, again, is underscoring. Hey, Jesus, the one that you love, the one who loves you, he's sick. That We need help. We need you to intervene here. And so when Jesus heard that, verse 4, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So this is, this is really Jesus' purpose. His purpose here, he, he, he says it at the very outset. There is a purpose in this, and the purpose is the revelation of the glory of God. Now, verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. There it is. There's the third time. You can, John is repeating something here. He's saying, Jesus loves this family. They are very close. This isn't just some obscure... I mean, Jesus went to three funerals, okay, if you will. Okay, this is one of them. Yeah, then the, widow, the widow's son of, uh, uh, of Nain and then uh, the... the uh, Talitha Kumi, the little girl, the little damsel that dies, he, he, he's a little, you know, little girl, I say arise. Um, all three funerals resulted in the same thing, but this one's significant because this one, there's no doubt. He's been in, he, you know, when we get to the, you know, he's been in the grave for four days at the point of, of his resurrection. And even his own sister is like, Lord, you know, the King James, surely he stinketh. You know, you, uh, he, uh, you know, he's been dead, okay? He's been sealed in. But, uh, Jesus loves them. It's not some random individual. Well known. But look at, look at, Jesus loved Mary and Martha, verse 5, and her sister. Mary and her sister. Good grief. Jesus loved Martha and her sister. Mary, I got Mary on the brain. But Martha is who we're talking about here today. It's Martha, not Mary. So, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days. You read that, you might, you might read right over that. You look at it and you think, wait a minute. Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus has the ability to heal Lazarus. Jesus has a deep affection for Lazarus. So he waits. I read that after I underscore it and I think about it, it's like, wait a minute. There's a need here. And you're not meeting it. And what John, what John is seemingly telling us is that love here decided to wait. That the most loving thing Jesus could do the best expression of his love was to allow Lazarus and Martha and Mary to journey through this. And I, you know, you think when the hardship is there, death is obviously the, the, the enemy of all men, if you will. There is a fear of death. First, uh, first no. Hebrews 2.15, you know, the Lord Jesus came and he delivered those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. 
We just sang, death, oh death, where is your sting? There is a, there's a victory, there's a resurrection now. Jesus has conquered, but death. Jesus loved Martha, so he waits. And I think, you know, on, a, on a natural level, wait a minute, how is, how is that love exactly? How does, how does that work? Is, he let him die. How is this love? This is John's main point. It was love that let him die. John is making very, very clear here the fact that Jesus loves them. Therefore, your version might say, therefore, instead of so. But it means the same thing. Jesus let him die. Now, we, we, uh, you know, he says here in verse 4, you know, this sickness is not unto death. This isn't about death. It's about the glory of God. So don't focus on the death. Focus on the glory of God. So John is emphasizing love. And we'll see it more as we go along through. But he's also emphasizing that there is a purpose. God's love and God's purpose. And the purpose of the death was the glory of God. Lazarus, Martha doesn't realize it yet. But what she needs above everything else is a clear understanding and a clear revelation of the glory of God. And it is through this, as we will see, that God does that. So, Jesus, he stays two more days in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, Let's go to Judea again. The disciples say, say to him, verse 8, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answers, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after this he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. <laughs> I, I read that. I was, I was reading this, and I was sitting at the table. My wife was sitting close to me, and I read verse 12 there, and I laughed. I started laughing out loud. And she's like, what are you, what are you laughing about? And I read, well, the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. And she's like, what's so funny about that? I go, because that's me. It's funny. Jesus is totally in control here. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly the timing. He is God Almighty. He is Sovereign Lord. He is the one who spoke, and the universe was created by his word. He controls every single thing. He knows everything that is going on. He knows every little particle. I was, I was on a... A job the other day, and I was doing some insulation. I had to move some insulation, and you kind of, you feel it kind of raining on you a little bit, you know, and most of us who've ever been around insulation, you're like, I don't really. So I stepped away for a minute and kind of let it come down, and I, there was a light that kind of shone across, and you could see it all, right? And I'm like, the Lord knows every single one of those particles, 
And every single one of them, he is holding in place. And he has decreed and designed it all to happen just like that. And I'm breathing that stuff. You know, I mean, that was a, a side note. But it, 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 it reminded me that God is totally in control of everything. He knows what's going on. The disciples are clueless. Like me. <laughs> Perhaps you've felt that a time or two. Jesus has already said this sickness is not unto death. It's for the glory of God. But Lord, lately the Jews spoke of stoning you. As if they need to remind Jesus of what's going on. Right? Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. Right? That's, what, what do you mean? Don't go wake him up. Don't you know what you're doing? You know, come on. You know? completely missing what the Lord is doing. And that was a great encouragement to me, which is why I laughed out loud when I read it. It's like, I don't have to get it. It's all right. God knows. God rules. God controls. I just have to know him. And if I trust in him, He's got it. He's got it. So, back to our text. Lord, if he sleeps, he, get, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. <laughs> Missing what is right in front of you. Then Jesus, now, and this is also another, this is, other, this is mercy here, verse 14. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I, I love those moments of clarity also. I love that I'm not always clueless, that the Lord does in his mercy at times and in his grace tell me very clearly what's going on. Those times of clarity are quite precious, but Jesus here, he brings that to the disciples. Lazarus is dead. Look what follows. And I'm glad. Wait, What? What do, you, what do you mean? Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad. You see, I'm doing something greater here. This has been ordained by infinite love. How can you be glad? He's dead. I would be glad if, if the Lord healed him. The Lord didn't heal him. It's not like the Lord couldn't heal him. Remember the, remember the, 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 the centurion's uh, son? Or his, not his son, his servant. It was his servant, right? He said, okay, I'll go and heal him. No, no, no. Just speak the word. Because I'm a man under authority. If I tell somebody to do something, they'll do it. Yeah, I tell somebody else to go do something, they do it. You just say it. And what's he saying to Jesus? You are the one in absolute authority. All you have to do is say it, and it'll happen. Jesus could have spoke the word. He didn't have to be in Bethany for this to happen. He knew very clearly what was going on. But he had a different purpose. So, I am glad you see, 
I'm happy when, when, when the situation gets fixed. When, when, when I pray and I say, Lord, I have this, I have this thing, and oh, it's, it's really challenging, and Lord, here, fix it for me. Whatever it is. I mean, here it's death. It, it, could, be, it, could, be, it could be a sickness. Maybe, maybe a, a, a business venture that did not go according to plan. Maybe a financial situation. Maybe, a, uh, maybe future plans that were made and then everything changed. We put our hope, unfortunately, all too often in circumstances. And if the circumstances go well, then, oh, God's good. And then when the circumstances don't go well, well, Lord, where were you? That's, that's what's going on. Look, look at verse 21. Skip down to verse 21. Look at verse 20. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my, my brother would not have died. That, 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 that's us right there. Lord, if, if only, if you would have. Lord, why didn't you come? You see? And, and I, this, this gets us all. This is the human condition. <laughs> Philosophically, this is what is called the problem of pain. Or the problem of evil. There, there are some great books. There are long books about the problem of evil. And everybody tries to come up with an answer for the problem of evil. Frankly, I'm, not interested. I'm interested in one person's opinion on the problem of evil, and that is the one who has risen from the dead. I'll take his word for it, since he's the only one that actually knows what death is and comes back to life forevermore. Now, Lazarus, of course, comes back to life, but he died again. Jesus is risen. He is reigning. He is ruling. He is controlling all. I'll take his word. But the problem, what, what is it? And, and then we challenge it. We question it, don't we? You have, you, have these, you have these truths. Three truths. God is all-powerful. God is love. Evil exists. How can those three things and, and isn't that always the thing? Isn't that, when, you're, when you have the trying circumstance, isn't that what the unbeliever says to you? Oh, well, I thought your God was a God of love. Well, if God was love, why did he let this happen to you? How come, well, isn't God able to fix your problem? And then we're, uh, uh, you know. But Jesus is up to something else. The eyes of faith understand that. The eyes of faith see that. What's he up to? Verse 21, if you had been here, Lord, my brother would, have not, would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, what God will give you. Now this isn't, this isn't, she's not, she has no clue that Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. 
How do I know that? Because if you look at, uh, look, at, look at verse 39, Jesus says, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister, turned to him and said, Lord, by this time there is a stench. He's been dead four days. What are you, what are you doing? You know, she's not, she does, has no anticipation that Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. Otherwise, yeah, roll it away. Oh, this is going to be great. Watch everyone. She's not doing that. She's, she's, Lord. Again, don't you know what you're doing? Questioning, right? As if. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's very encouraging when I read the stories of, of people in the Bible and I see my own lack of faith and unbelief there. Um, but uh, God's not done with us yet. It's very encouraging. Uh, Jesus, he, verse uh, 20, where were we? Verse 20, uh, verse 21. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. God has a greater purpose. Now, we might be tempted to read this and we, well, yeah. I mean, this isn't really all that bad because he's going to raise them in four days, right? I mean, What's the big deal? It's not, that, that, that wasn't how bad. It wasn't that bad, right? At, at verse 21, indeed all the way to verse 39, Martha has no idea what Jesus is going to do. This was a very real loss. This was a very painful set of circumstances. It, we, we, we shouldn't read it and, 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 and diminish that reality in any way. Death is painful for those who remain. <coughs> Tragedy can cause one of two things. Typically, it can cause us to become bitter or it can cause us to become better. And what God wants to do with Martha is he wants to give her what is better. But Martha, she's still committing the same mistake. She has her hope in the circumstances. A lot of people put their hope in all manner of circumstances. I, I enumerated a couple of them already. Um, uh, you know, what's really kind of in vogue uh, as far as seeing, I, I observe a lot of, of hope in circumstances uh, amongst Christians is politics. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about politics. Don't worry. I'm not going to you know, wax about you know, this and that. But every time I hear conversations about politics, I kind of wonder, where's your hope? If your hope is that things are going to turn around, 
and things are going to get better and we're going to get back to our Christian roots and then the, the country is going to go and we have a Christian. And, you know, if, if we just elect all of these Christian leaders, then, 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 the, then the country, and then everything's going to be great and happy days are here again and the economy is going to roar and so forth and so on. I hear that kind of talk and I, and, and I have to ask, where, where is your hope? Anyone that knows anything about politics is that these things ebb and flow. Things can be, I mean, in the last, you have gone to the, the furthest of extremes in the last, the last two cycles. You know? And then everybody, you know, you know what I see? A lot of hope misplaced. Can, can, I, can I lovingly suggest that if, 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 if your hope is in all of that stuff, that maybe consider your hope might be misplaced. And the reason that I say that is this. If, politically speaking, you could write the blank check, as it were, and cash it, that does absolutely nothing to change the human heart. Every single... Jesus didn't come and conquer Rome. He came and conquered sin. We have to get our focus where it belongs. Jesus came and he transformed the whole world. He didn't do it politically. He did it spiritually. One heart at a time. You see, if your heart is transformed, your entire outlook on life is transformed. You can't, it doesn't work from the outside in. You have the whitewashed, that's, that's pharisaical. And we can fall into the trap of being a modern day Pharisee if we get caught up in all of this nonsense. What is Jesus about? Jesus is about proclaiming, we have a great commission. We actually have hope, the one solution. I was uh, a Friday night, I, I have a Bible study in my home on Friday night, and I was talking, we were talking about witnessing, talking about evangelism, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually uh, helping, I'm giving them a, an effective means of, of evangelism, uh, a way that you actually know what you're saying. Because I said, okay, we role-played for a minute. I said, okay, I'm, I'm Joe Unbeliever. There was nine people. Having, I said, okay, between you guys collectively, lead me to Jesus from the Bible. Oh, uh, well, uh, da, 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 you know. Well, and you know, I get this, I get that, I get I go, wait, From the Bible. Um, I said, see, and I used the illustration the week before. I said, you know, when you're, when, you're, when you're target practicing, you know, pardon the analogy if you don't like the gun analogy, but let's say you're target practicing and you're aiming and you're shooting directly. You know what you're aiming at. You know how to hit it and you hit it. What if you came in and you just started, you know, just shooting, a, spraying a bunch of a lead? You know, you might hit it, but it, it wouldn't be because you meant to. And I said, what I'm getting right now is, you know, spraying lead. 
they're like, oh. <laughs> and I was like, look, he, and, and we're laying out, right? The gospel, there must be a clear understanding and a clear presentation because people hear the clear message, and it is in hearing the clear message that salvation happens. It's not just hoping that somehow they get it. We have the message of hope. Jesus here is, is shaking Martha and waking her up and saying, Martha, set your hope on what really is important. Don't set your hope on those things that are less. Jesus is developing in her a love for the glory of God, and the result of that love for the glory of God will be a fixation on eternity. And that's, that's, that's what Jesus is doing here. So, the question is not whether or not America regains her footing or things turn out the way that we would like them to turn out or that the Lord sets us free or, or delivers us from whatever the trial it is that, that we are facing. But rather, how will we respond whether that happens or not? Because if it doesn't happen, in my own experience, that's been the greater testimony. It's a greater testimony when we have faith and the answer to the prayer doesn't come and we maintain our faith. This guy really believes what he says. I've been reading um, more uh, uh, Christian biographies. I've had some time and I've been reading Christian biographies and I, I, I have been so blessed. Now, the Bible warns us about comparing ourselves with ourselves, but that, if, you, if you take someone who is further along in their walk than you are, and you read it, at least in my case, when I read uh, Christian biographies, I am so encouraged, and I'm challenged. I'm challenged, and it, and it, it, it quickens me, and it, 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 I see what the Lord has done with other people, and I see the, the expressions and so forth that, that, that they have and the, the difficulties that they went through. I'm re I just read a biography. It was um, uh, John Patton, the missionary to the New uh, Hebrides, which is modern-day Vanuatu, South Pacific Islands. I read that, I, I, I couldn't put it down. I loved it. It was so great. And just what the Lord did. And you know what? What's the common theme in every single one of these biographies, and I've read quite a few of them, is that the Lord uses the accumulated sufferings to accomplish his purposes. That's what, he doesn't, he doesn't step on to you know, this island of Tana, where they're, they're cannibals, okay? Literally, they are cannibals. Okay, and uh, two missionaries had gone there like 17, 18 years before him and they didn't even get onto the sand and they were clubbed to death and eaten. And he's going back, okay? And they're like, you're going to be eaten by cannibals. The Lord is calling me, don't go. The Lord is calling me to, to, to these people 
but you'll eat by, you'll be eaten by cannibals. And he says, he says to one man, I, I like this, he says, I don't remember his name, you know, Mr. Smith, uh, you are far more advanced in years than I am, and it won't be very long before you are, are, are buried in the ground, and therein you will be eaten by worms. So if you are eaten by worms and I am eaten by cannibals, so long as the God, is God is glorified, then, you know, I will, I will move forward. I mean, it was, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but basically that's what this guy, he had this kind of, he had this moxie about him. He had this uh, confidence in God. Read the book. Okay, you, you'll like it, all right? I got it on Kindle for 99 cents, so you can do that. Kindle app on your phone. It, not, it, the app is free. You don't even need a Kindle. You can just get, download the app, and then you, 99 cents on Amazon, boom, there it is. Great read. Do it. You'll, 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 you'll love it. Anyways, the trial, the challenge, the difficulty, the glory of God, God's purpose, that's what's going on. Back, back to our text here. If you had been here, Lord... He desires, Jesus desires that we place our hope and our trust in him and live above and not dependent upon the circumstances. Jesus says, verse 23, your brother will live again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You see, Jesus is telling her something here. Do you want satisfaction? Do you want to understand purpose, the result of that will be a lasting hope. Do you want that, Mary? I am life. We, we look to life. We look for life in so many things, don't we? It, it's really a result of the fall. It's ingrained in us because of the fall, because of our inherent sinfulness. There's this deep desire to find satisfaction, to find significance apart from God. And Jesus is saying, no, Mary, I'm where you're going to find life. I am where you're going to find satisfaction. Do you believe this? Don't look to the death of your brother. Don't look to the trying circumstance. Look to me and look to and, and understand my glory. Because it's in my glory that you're going to find life. Faith is trusting that the Lord will use our situation in a way which will bring him the greatest glory and bring us the greatest good. I'm the life. I am life. You want life? Come to me. I'm life. You will find 
rest. You will find satisfaction. You will find hope. You will find forgiveness. You will find contentment. You will find redemption. You will find my purpose. Because I'm life. And everything else is a cheap substitute. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that the Lord has set eternity in our hearts. The reason that things don't satisfy, the reason that you see all of these people trying to attain the, the pinnacle of success and so forth, and when they attain it, then, you know, unfortunately a lot of them uh, commit suicide. The reason that these things happen is because they're not finding satisfaction. There, uh, Augustine, I believe, said that there is a God-shaped hole in the heart of every man that only he can fulfill. And if we try and fulfill it with any other thing, we will be left hungry, we will be left empty, we will be left wanting more. Jesus is the life. Do you believe this? He's offering life. He's offering eternal life. He's offering forgiveness of sins. He's offering a means whereby we can come and forever live and be with him because he is the one who loves us most. You know, a lot of people want to be in heaven, but a lot of people don't like the idea of Jesus being there. If that's your idea of heaven, that's not heaven. Because it's Jesus who is the life. He says, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe. She makes a profession of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So, go up to, uh, where am I here? <clears throat> go up to verse 40. Okay, no, look, look at verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Jesus has just wept. He's groaning. Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? When we place our faith in not what we think the Lord will do, or what the Lord should do, but we place our faith in who he is. He reveals to us his glory. What Martha needs here, and what John is defining as love, is a clear revelation of the glory of God. God will be glorified. He is the king of glory. And we were created for his purpose. So therefore, when our lives glorify him, we are realizing what is our purpose. It's been four days. Martha still doesn't see. Jesus, of course, 
of course, clearly sees. But Lord, there's a stench. Lord, I don't like the way this smells. This just isn't, this is not pleasant for me. This is really, really hard. For her, it's four days. For, for you or me, it might be 40 days. It might be 40 years. But however long it is, if we will just believe, if we will just have faith, we will see the glory of God. Sometimes the unbelieving world watches us go through the horrible circumstance, and when we continue to trust God throughout, then the, really, the reality of our faith is truly demonstrated. And the reality of his strength becomes much more clear because he sustains. The testimony of, the, of this missionary that I was referring to earlier, he said, the Lord showed me his strength. It was in the winter seasons. It was in the difficult seasons. He goes through some things there. You're just like, oh my gosh, how in the world, who are you that you can endure such? Had I not been convinced, I'm paraphrasing, that the sovereign Lord was in control of every single thing, I would not have been able to endure my accumulated sufferings. But it was confidence in a loving, sovereign God. It is the revelation to your soul of the glory of God that you need most, that I need, that we need most. <clears throat> you see, sometimes he says, did I not say? Did, didn't I say? Sometimes the longer he waits to work, it often results in a greater blessing for his glory and for my good. But we're prone. We're prone, aren't we? We're prone to question God's goodness. We're prone to question his, his wisdom. Look, if you ever get, you find yourself in a situation where you're questioning the ability of God or the goodness of God, I would encourage you to consider something. God reveals himself uh, in the word of God through what are called his attributes. And his attributes are that he's all-powerful, that he's holy, that he is all-knowing, that he, he is all-seeing, that he is he's, he's everywhere at one time, he's, all, he's omnipresent, that he is love, that he is just, that he is wise, that he is good. These are his attributes. If you ever find yourself questioning whether or not he is good, whether or not he's love, or whether or not he's all-powerful, can I, can I encourage you to consider something? Consider this. God reveals himself through all of his attributes collectively. There is never a time that he does something expressing one attribute that would be contrary to another attribute. It doesn't happen. 
We question his wisdom with our limited wisdom and our limited understanding, don't we? As if we know like Martha, but Lord, and the disciples, oh, but Lord. But these things are not happenstance. These things aren't, aren't random. Like those dust particles I was describing earlier, every single thing is exactly according to his design and his plan and his timing. Everything he does is in accord with infinite love and infinite wisdom. And if we trust and we wait in time, we will see the glory of God. That does a couple of things. It weans us from this world. Trials, trials have a way of doing that. Trials have a way of separating our affection for things that are lesser than what is the greatest thing, which is God himself. 1 Corinthians 3 the, 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 the last part of 1 Corinthians 3 says, uh, let, Therefore let no one boast in man, for all things are yours. Everything's yours. The world, life, death, things present, things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God. Everything is already yours. We already have an inheritance incorruptible. We are co-heirs and co-redeemed with Jesus Christ. I don't get how that happens or why that happens and why God would love me that much. But it's a reality. But it's a future reality. We already possess it, much like Abraham, you know, dwelling in Canaan, and it was his already by inheritance, but he never actually possessed it. So we're the same way. We are living here, and, and this world, and everything we set our foot on, everything around is already ours by inheritance. But somehow we just try and cling to it, don't we? I, I want it, but I want it now. <laughs> the only part of, it, of, of Canaan that Abraham possessed, you guys remember what it was? It was a grave. <laughs> he only owned a grave. So when he died, then he possessed it. So true for us. Don't look to finding contentment or satisfaction. Don't, don't fall into that trap. It's already yours. Live your life with an open hand and let the Lord do in your life or put in your life or take out of your life whatever it is he desires. That's faith. And that's, and that's, what, that's what happens here. True love. True love is defined as God's love showing us that we will be satisfied with his glory alone. It seems very clear that's exactly what John is communicating through this story. That his glory is what we would treasure inwardly and that we would desire above all, that we would embrace his will above ours. What we need, mark this, what we need most of all is satisfaction in Jesus alone. 
We must define love as God defines love. Not like the world defines it, but how God defines it. When we do so, then we realize purpose. I said at the start, there are two points in this passage. God's love and God's purpose. And God demonstrates his love in revealing to us his purpose. And his purpose is finding life in he himself. Stand with me, please. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. For you are good. Lord, and you reign. Oh, righteous Father. There are those who are struggling, those who are in pain, those who are in the midst of a trial. There are those who ask why. Lord, it is my prayer that you would give them a fresh revelation of your glory. And that you would comfort their hearts as only you can. And just as you rose Lazarus from the dead, so you're going to raise all of us from the dead. And Lord, may that just be our single focus and our single hope. And Lord, as we live this way, may you fulfill your purpose in shining your light through our lives to a watching world. But in all things, Lord, so that you would receive glory. In all things, Lord, that the name of Jesus Christ would be exalted in our lives, whether by life or by death. We lay our lives before you, Lord. We give our hearts to you. We thank you for the strength and the love that you alone provide. And Lord, just give us clarity, just as you said plainly to your disciples. Say things plainly to us, Lord, as only we can understand them, and as only you can communicate them. But Lord, just give us a fresh sense and a fresh awareness of your glory. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, your most mighty and powerful name. Amen.